Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. I already know what you think about me when you see me up here. You're like, that guy is it's not perfect. <laughs> it's true. I'm not. What else isn't perfect is my voice. It walked away on me last night, so... Uh, um, I'm glad you get to hear me talk like this the entire time. Um, so I want to welcome you online, also in the tent. You guys are packed out in there. I have a special treat for the tent. If you're in there right now, if you raise your hand, someone will bring you coffee. No joke. <laughs> There's actually people standing right there. So if you're in the tent, raise your hand. We are doing like customer service. <laughs> it's on. So yeah, no joke. Look at everyone's excited for you and your coffee. Start doing orders. Tell them what you wanted and stuff. It's going to be great. <laughs> Who just wants black coffee? Come on. Anyways. <clears throat> um, my prayer today is that, um, that although I am uh, unable to communicate in ways that I would like to, that uh, I'm glad that uh, I serve a God that is going to communicate to you in ways that I am unable to and uh, about a subject that is um, so relevant and poignant in every single person's life um, that's in this room and in the surrounding community. And that's when we get stuck in our guilt and our shame of the past. Um, And so we're going to go ahead and dive right into that and just may God speak to you in ways that I am unable. The closer they got to the heart of the city, the less conversation there was between them. No one had to say a word. They knew what each other was thinking. And they were thinking the same thing. Whether or not to put their cloak over their head and keep their head to the ground or to to look up because maybe, just maybe, one in a million chances, they might see him. In an empire built on slaves, that their glance may be met with a gaze, an acknowledgement who you are. It's been 22 years, and this is the first time that they've had to go there. His brother was 17. He was 17, and uh, he was dad's favorite. It didn't take much to hate him. That's what brothers do. And 17, uh, at 17, he came to them and said, hey, I, hey guys, I have dreams. And for the next 22 years, ironically, they were his nightmare every single day from something that had happened in their past. 22 years ago, their brother had come off to spout off again, and they said, hey, we're done with this. Let's kill him. Instead, they said, hey, the, there's no, the, we're not going to get anything from that. And so they decided to sell him to Egypt. Took his coat tore it up, put some blood on it, went back to dad and said, hey, dad, isn't this Joey's coat? Looks like he's been attacked by like a ravaged animal and he's gone. It's been 22 years. And now they're headed to Egypt because it's life or death. It's amazing how God sometimes uses the worst things in our lives to get us to where we need to be to get us to somewhere new. And that's where I want to take you today, to take all of us. I want to take you to your Egypt. Not the Egypt in this story, your Egypt. Your Egypt that you live in. 
whatever it may be, the skeletons in the closet, that thing or that person or that situation that may have been 40 years ago, two days ago, three years ago, 1992, you pick what it looks like, (laughs) that you wish will never come up again or that person would never walk into this room, you pray to God because they're going to know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. That thing that you can catch yourself almost every day thinking about just for a moment. The thing that you're stuck on. For 22 years, every time they heard the E word, the stairs began. The heart began to skip just a little bit. When there'd be travelers that are coming through, they may stop there wondering, is he with them? Or travelers that stop and around the fire at night as they're on their journey, that they look at one another and they say, hey, I met a guy. He said he's from here. In fact, I think he said he's from this family. The stairs amongst one another every time the word Egypt was mentioned. Because they knew who might they just find there. So we're going to jump into uh, Genesis chapter 42. If you have a Bible, you can open up. If you have your smart thing, you can open it up. Um, I'm going to put it up here on the screen as well, but I'm going to give you a little background story to the story. So you have 12 brothers and a dad named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. He has a younger one. His name's Joseph. Joseph is his favorite. That makes everyone hate someone. And not only is his favorite, he like flaunts it. He says, here, I'm going to give you a Technicolor dream coat, as many of you may have heard, uh, whether you watch television or plays, or you just like good stories. Um, and he said, I'm going to give you a Technicolor dream coat so you can flaunt it. You're my boy, right? Not only that, Joseph came from his favorite wife, another conversation for another day, Sarah, <laughs> So Joseph was his favorite from his favorite wife, and then also had another brother named Benjamin. So Benjamin and Joseph were his favorites, right? And Joseph had a big mouth on him, and uh, his brothers didn't like that, his older brothers especially. And so he would come out to them while they're working the fields, and he would say, guys, check this out. Check out my coat. I just had this crazy dream. And this dream was totally rad. You guys were going to bow down to me one day, and they're like, I'm going to bow off your face in a second. (laughs) Like, if you keep at that stuff. And so he would do that. And one day, finally, he did that. And on the way out, they're like, we're done with this dude. Let's kill him. And just like I said, they said, we don't get nothing for that. Let's sell the guy. So they threw him into a pit. He begged for his life. These travelers came through on their way to Egypt, and he sold them off for some coin. They took that little special Technicolor dream coat. They tore it to shreds, put some blood on it, did some blood on it, came back and said, Dad, look at Joey's coat. We don't know what happened to him. I guess an animal ate him, and it destroyed Jacob. Well, Joseph actually did okay for himself. He went off into Egypt, and there he became uh, a, uh, a slave working for a guy named Potiphar. He's in his house. He was his maidservant. Uh, or manservant, I don't know what you would call that necessarily, but um, that's where he served and where he worked until he got accused of rape, which he didn't do. In fact, he ran from it, but that got him thrown into a dungeon. So then he lived into a dungeon for a little while, saying, what's going on? What's God going to do with my life? And then uh, while he was in the dungeon, he met some people who worked for Pharaoh, the number one of all of the world, the biggest empire that the world has even known at that time, uh, worked for Pharaoh. They came in and they started having these dreams. And so he interpreted them. So this is what's going on. Well, one day they got called up uh, to Pharaoh to, to reckon uh, what's going on in their life or what they had done. And um, one of them got um, let go. It was atonement there and started serving Pharaoh and then forgot about Joseph. 
So a couple years later, a couple years later, Pharaoh began to have these dreams. And he had dreams, and he said, hey, I need somebody to interpret these dreams. What are these dreams that I'm having mean? And so this one guy was like, hey, I knew like this dungeon dude. He interpreted my dreams. It came true. That's exactly what happened. You should give him a chance. So they shaved and bathed him, got him ready to go in front of Pharaoh. He came up, and Pharaoh said, this is my dream. And he said, well, this is what it means. And he told him, hey, you're going to have seven years of abundance, the best you've ever seen, anyone has ever seen. Followed with that is going to be seven years of famine, the worst that's ever happened, that the land will ever see. And you need to be prepared for that. So you should probably put a guy in charge of that, maybe somebody who interprets dreams. And so he said, what you need to do is you need to tax the people 20%. They're not going to care because it's happening, man. This is like the economy is good. We'll give you our money. You're going to store it up in a storehouse. So then at those seven years of famine, you're going to have food for everyone and be able to sell it off and give it out and become really rich and that you're going to be able to take care of your people. Not only that, well, you'll be known as the wisest leader that ever lived. So Pharaoh looked at him and says, has anybody else got any better ideas than this guy? And they said, ah, I don't know. So he said, hey, Dungeon Boy, you're number two. Makes him number two, just below Pharaoh. From the dungeon to number two, that's pretty legit. Now it's been 22 years, he's 39 years old. We've gone through the seven years of abundance and we're about in year two of the famine. And it brings us to Genesis 42, one through two. I'm gonna read it with you. It says, when Jacob, that's dad, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued. I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that way we may live and not die. This is a life and death situation. But look what he says you're doing. Hey, dudes, boys, every time the E word comes up, you guys are just staring at each other like a bunch of knuckleheads. We're dying here. What's the deal? You know that food's in Egypt. Will you get on it and get there and get it? And they're just like, bah. I don't want to. Because this is what happens to us. When we have skeletons in, the, in our closet, the past can leave us paralyzed with fear or paralyzed with guilt. The past can leave us paralyzed with fear or paralyzed with guilt. If you continue to read on again just a little bit in that passage... He says, go there and get the grain so we may live and not die. And then he says, then 10 of Joseph's brothers went to buy the grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin. Benjamin was the other favorite, right? From Sarah. Joseph's brother with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So the sons were among those who went to buy grain from the famine because it was in the land of Canaan also. So you kind of have two different scenes that are going on because there's past skeletons in the closet. It can leave us paralyzed with fear. That's how the brothers were because they knew what they had done. Nobody else knew what was going on. This guilt and shame that they were stuck in. But you also have dad who's been paralyzed with guilt. I don't want to lose another one. What if I hadn't sent him out there to do that chore, that errand that day? Maybe it's because he was wearing his crazy coat and the animal was like, oh, crazy coat guy, I'm going to eat you. I don't know what it was, right? But there was, a, there was he's paralyzed with guilt of like, what if... What if, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? And it's left them all paralyzed because of those skeletons in the closet. So now it comes to this place where they're walking and crossing the border into Egypt with a mission to buy food because it's life or death. And they're stuck 
and the past, their guilt and their shame. And eventually they make their way to buy their food. And it says, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold the grain to all the people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke to them harshly. Where do you come from? They said, from the land of Canaan. We came here to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Now he's 39, he was 17, he's 39 years old. And at that time, I can only imagine what he looked like. He probably looked like an Egyptian with some like crazy jewelry on. That dude should never wear. Like makeup. That dude should never wear. <laughs> That's what they did. And so they, they, they didn't recognize him. They bowed down at, at, his, at, his, uh, at his feet, begging to buy food. And Joseph realizes they don't know who it is. And so he begins to have a conversation with them and says, hey, you guys, you guys are here spies. He knows what's going on. But now he's going to try to get some information like, whoa, time out. I've been waiting for this moment the last 22 years. How's my family? How's my dad? And where's Benjamin, my brother, whom I miss and I want to see? And so he starts asking questions. And they finally say, well, there was 12 of us. The younger's back at home with dad because he wouldn't let him come. And there's one that's no more. And so he throws him into jail and says, I'm going to send one of you guys back and prove it or else you're spies and you're going to die. I want to see Benjamin. Show me. So he lets him sit for three days, and I think he made a good decision. I think he was out of safety, honestly. He comes back after three days and decides, hold on, time out, I changed my plan. Then nine of you are going to leave. I'm going to keep one of you here tied up until you bring back younger brother. And I think that happened because he said, well, if I send one of you with food for the family on your way when in the midst of a famine, we're two years in, it's going to get taken from you. You might even lose your life from travel back home, right? So he sends them all off. They go home, and he fills their sacks with food, um, and he also tells his servants, hey, also, I want you to put the money that they were going to use to buy this food back in their sacks. And so as they were um, traveling home, it says, uh, it says uh, they stopped, they opened up to get some food, and they looked in the mouth of their sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. This is one of the brothers. Here it is in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they turned to each other, trembling, and said, what is this that God has done to us? Why does this stuff keep happening to us? We got like thrown in jail. They don't know whether we're going to do this or not. We lost another brother. One brother's at home. One brother's no more, period. It's been haunting us from the past. We've had to go to Egypt. And now they're going to accuse us of stealing stuff because our money's back in here. How did this get in here? God, why are you playing this sick game with me? (laughs) And what we end up doing when we're stuck with our guilt and with our shame We end up bearing it. We end up blaming others. And we end up blaming ourselves. And I jumped ahead. (laughs) This is actually the fill-in I was going to tell you about. You can go back to it. Yeah, go back to it. Yeah, backwards. (laughs) So not dealing with the past robs us of our future. They were given a gift. They were given a gift of silver, their money back. That was a present to them. They didn't know it at the time because they were so stuck on their past of like, God, why are you playing this sick game with us? What's happening? 
What do we do to deserve this? We're a wreck right now, but because they hadn't dealt with their past, they were already stuck and they were um, freaked out and worried. And it robbed them of the future. Just before that, it said in Genesis uh, 42, while they're sitting there at his, at his fees, feet, uh, they're speaking their, their tongue language. Well, they don't realize that that's Joseph. He speaks the same language as they do. So they're thinking they're talking to each other and nobody else knows what they're saying. So they're saying to one another, when all this is going down, surely we're being punished because of our brother, Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But he wouldn't listen, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you guys not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen, and now we must give an accounting for his blood. So now what's happening here, and that's what happens to most of us typically, is that when this stuff happens, we end up burying it. 22 years, it was buried in the past. Every time the E-word came up, it was like the other direction, like, don't say that. We start blaming others. Hey, this is your guys' fault. Why didn't you listen? Why didn't you make that, that decision? You made me say that. You made me do that. You offered that to me. Or we end up blaming ourselves. If I would have, if I could have, if I could just do it over again, I'm just so stuck in this guilt and this shame from my past. And friends, when we're burying it, blaming others, blaming ourselves, haunted by the sense of being trapped in your life, these are the deep, deep waters of your soul speaking to you, telling you, Something's wrong, something's missing, and something needs to change. It says in Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. And so when we have skeletons in our closet, we need to focus on cleaning out the closet. There's three things I want to give you. And I'm going to have you look at something. And then I'm going to close. The first thing that we need to do is we need to face the truth. When we have skeletons in the closet, we need to face the truth. We need to recognize what that is that's causing us to act a certain way, that's stirring up things over and over again in our life, that's maybe debunking us in the directions we're trying to head, the things that we need to accomplish. The next thing that we have to do is accept it. Some of us, it's really difficult to do. We need to accept the truth. That, yeah, that, that's something that we are part of. That, yeah, that might be part of my story, but it's not my identity. It's not who I am. It's a piece of it. And something comes from that. So we have to face it. We have to accept it. And then we need to accept grace and not guilt. And this right here, this is the toughest one for all of us. It just doesn't make sense. Like it's so radical to accept grace that's freely given and not feel guilty about it. Friends, I would, I would say that this is why God is God. Because we can't do that. It's 
so difficult for us, but he can. I'm going to ask you a question. What do you see? Go ahead. What do you see? What? A dot? How many of you guys saw a dot? You guys see a dot? Right? How many of the rest of you just see a big old white screen? But what do we do? We focus on the dot. There's all this unblemished space, but then there's a, an imperfection, a dot. And that's where we get stuck. That's where we live. This is grace. This is guilt. And we're staring right at it. See, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. When you change the way that you look at things, the things you look at change. And this is where God continually, over and over again, comes and gets in our face. He says, hey, grace, not guilt, grace, not guilt, grace, not guilt. And we're like, huh, that doesn't make sense. It's too much. But like, this is mine. This is my dot. (laughs) It's my like thing. Right? And he goes, what the heck did I sacrifice myself for? I gave myself up for you. Because you know what I see? All of this. I don't see that. And we're like, what? That's so radical. It's nonsense. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And that's why I know he's God. And that's where we get stuck. Because we live here, not here. So when you change, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at, change. We need to accept grace, not guilt. And when we do that, when we, uh, when we look at the skeletons in the closet and see how disruptive that is and the ways that it gets us stuck and then we clean out the closet and we can truly sit here and go, okay, I'm, I'm going to continue to look at it like this. I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't understand, but not forgiveness, but freedom. We need to learn how to live with the door open. So living with the door open, and I want you to really hear this. This is, this is the meat. This is what I want you to chew on. This is what I want you to breathe in. And it's your skeletons can be Satan's greatest weapon or God's most powerful tool. Just sit in that for a second. Your skeletons can be Satan's greatest weapon, a weapon or God's most powerful tool. What does a weapon do? It destroys, it murders, it takes away, it cuts pieces off. What does a tool do? It builds, it gives, it encourages. And this is a choice that you have when you live with the door open. You can be Satan's greatest weapon and continue to be stuck in your guilt and your shame and that thing that I know every single person in here deals with. That thing that just pops up in the middle of your day and you're making that really weird face and everyone's like, what are you thinking? You're like, nothing. <laughs> you're laughing because you know it's true. <laughs> Some of you is making that face at me right now. You're like, oh. <laughs> or it can be God's most powerful tool. Accept grace, 
not guilt. And be a powerful tool. Would you bow your heads? God, uh, (laughs) most of the time you are so difficult to understand. And that's what makes you God. So thank you for not being understandable. (laughs) God, I know in this space, in this room right now, there's many of us that are constantly stuck with the guilt and the shame of our past. My friends in the tent, my friends online right now, my friends in this faith community, this room, in this space. God, would you help us get unstuck? God, I'm, uh, I'm sensing like fear in this space, in this, in this place right now. That some of us are just afraid to let it go. What am I going to do without my dot? God, would you just give those that feel that way just boldness and courage? Not of forgiveness right now, God, but of freedom. Would you free people? the things they felt like they've had to hold on to. The fault that they feel like maybe they've created. Maybe the direction of their life that hasn't quite gone the direction they expected. Would you make something new? God, I also just sense uh, anger in this space. You are angry about it. Something that's been done to them they've done to someone else and the shame and the guilt that comes with that. There might be someone in this space today, in the tent, online, in this room, and maybe you've never made that decision to say, hey, God, I need to take you up on your offer that you really did come, you gave yourself for me so that I can live a life in grace and not guilt that I don't have to be stuck in myself that I don't have to continue to feel dead but hey you came to make things alive but you're the only person that can do that that you didn't just come here today to feel better about things God you didn't come here to make me happy but you came to make dead things alive again so maybe maybe there's someone in this space that's participating with us today that you need to be made alive for the first time, truly alive by accepting his grace and not the guilt that's given to you. So today I invite you to to say that with your heart and also to say that with your hand and even your mouth. And if you want to accept Jesus maybe for the first time today,
I want to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you, and I want to acknowledge you. Would you raise your hand and just catch my eye in this space today? Yep, I got you in the back. Yep. So God, uh, I thank you that we can celebrate. As my friends leave from this place, as I leave from this place, that we can enjoy freedom that only you can give as we're stuck. And may we continue to walk in this journey with you, with you as the leader, as you continually lift us up and allow us to fall forward into your grace and not backwards into our own guilt. We love you and thank you. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.